Welcome to Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the Kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. If we talk about the year of realization, Pastor Andreas, by the Spirit, has said to us that that this could be a year like no other in terms of growth, in terms of release, in terms of breakthrough, in terms of promotion in the Spirit. A year where we can realize or find realization or materialization in the areas in which we have been faithful. Areas where we've... You know, sometimes you're faithful in doing something over a period of time and you don't necessarily see fruit. You, you Eventually it just feels like you're going through the motions. Often that is a test of the Lord to see, well, how committed are you to this? You know, if, if, if it's not going perhaps the way you wanted it to, do you just throw in the towel? Well, this is a season where we believe God is saying that there is, there, we're going to enter into a greater realization of the promises of God, of breakthrough and, and into those areas where we have been faithful. And a key component to that is to realize some, the value of something. What do you have to do? Somebody was listening. You've got to give it away. To realize the value of something, you need to give it away. So if this is a year of realization, we will only realize the potential of what we have been faithful with. If we've been unfaithful in something, the potential is thwarted. Let me give you an example. If you want to learn to play the guitar, or the piano, or any musical instrument, you're going to have to be faithful in practicing. Right? Because it doesn't happen automatically. If you are faithful... In practicing your guitar, you you may realize the potential that you have to play that instrument. As someone who plays the guitar, I confidently say, all of you here today have the potential to play the guitar. All of you. Some better than others. Some have rhythm. Others struggle with that. But nonetheless, I can teach you to play some chords. And if you practice those chords faithfully, you will realize your potential on the guitar. Does that make sense? Likewise, in, in every area of our life, in those areas where we are faithful, where we give ourselves to something consistently, deliberately, we can realize our potential in that area. Pastor Andreas spoke about the parable of the talents. Rich, a ruler went away, he handed to three of his servants three different portions of, of money, considerable portions, to one five talents, to one three, or two, to another one, one. The one who received five worked with what he had, he gave it, he was faithful with that which was given to him, he grew it, and he brought back a harvest to which his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Likewise, the second servant who received two talents, he worked with what he was given, he was faithful with what he was given, he was diligent with what he was given, and when a master came and said to me, right, show me what you've done with what I've given you, he said, well, this is what I've done with it, here are two more talents above and beyond that which you gave me, to which the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Then came the third servant who received one talent. This servant buried the talent in the ground. He was not faithful with the gift he'd been given. He was not faithful with that which was entrusted to him. And so what happened? Even what he had was taken away. And he was cast out into outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, etc., etc. So to realize what we have, 
We need to be disciplined and diligent in working with that so that its potential can be materialized or realized. We spoke about to realize the value of something, you have to give it away. Some of the examples that were given were money. To realize the value, money means nothing to you, it has no value to you in your pocket. It only gains value when it is given away or exchanged for something else. Make sense? Pastor Andreas also spoke about the widow with the, with the oil. The widow who was in debt and she had two sons that uh, the, 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 the person she owed money to was going to take, the lender was going to take from her in order to pay off her debt. And she had this problem and she went to the prophet and the prophet said, well, what have you got in your house? And she said, well, I've got nothing but this little jar of oil. And he said, right, take that jar of oil, do something with it. Do something with that which you've been given. And she realized a miracle that day. She realized through her obedience the hand of God moving on her behalf and doing something wonderful and incredible for her. Likewise, the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, the value of the blood of Christ was only realized when it was shed on the cross. You know, the Bible actually says this. It says, if, if the enemy knew what was going on when they hung Jesus on the cross, they never would have crucified him. Because they didn't realize the value of his blood until it had been shed. And then it was too late for them. And so likewise, you know, you and I have been given so much by the Lord. And as I hear this, this word, and as I, you know, folks, it's, when God speaks to us prophetically, we've got a, we've got a responsibility. What are we going to do with the word of the Lord that he's given us? First thing we have to do is we have to test this. Is this of the Lord? Is this scriptural? Is this right? Who is this coming from? Who is it coming through? Amen? So we test, the Bible says, all things. But once we've discerned that and we believe that this is the word of the Lord for us, prophecy doesn't just happen automatically. Just because somebody has prophesied something over your life or just because you believe God is saying something to you or over your life, that word doesn't just come to pass automatically. God has spoken many wonderful promises over you. Those promises don't just happen automatically. We have our role to play. We have a responsibility. What are we going to do with that which God has given us? What are we going to do with the promises? You know, God says to us, I set before you life and death. What are you going to do? You've got to choose. You've got to choose life or death. And that will relate in behavior, that will relate in in all kinds of various things. But I want you to turn to a portion of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, from verse 14 to 19. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture. We should pray over ourselves and our loved ones often. And it says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might, through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend. Another word for comprehend could be realize, understand, experience for yourself with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height of what? To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How many of you love to be filled with all the fullness of God? You know, I, I put my hand up there as well. But if I'm really honest with you, I don't really completely even understand what that means. Am I allowed to be that, that honest with you? 
I want it, but I don't even know what it is. Why? Because my mind can't even get its head around it. This, this scripture is saying, pray that you may have a revelation of the width and the length and the depth and the height of this thing, that you may be filled with it. So I want it, even though I don't know what it is yet. I know it's good because it's from God. And I know he's given it to me, so it's got my name on it. So I want it, even though I don't understand everything that it entails. But I want the fullness of God in my life. Not just Jesus to save me from my sin. I want everything that he's given for me. His life, his nature, his love. But I want to make this statement to you today. The fullness of God is reserved for those who are willing to give it away. You see, God didn't come, or Jesus didn't come to die just to get you saved. Praise God, that's part of it. Thank God we can have salvation and, and relationship with God through what Jesus did. But what Jesus did is so much more than just getting you into heaven. Jesus didn't come to get you to heaven. Jesus came to bring heaven to you, to bring heaven to earth. That's why when he taught us to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Where? On earth, as it is always done in heaven. To be a believer is not to be saved. Hallelujah. Because if really, if that's what it was all about, we should have a suicide terminal at the end of our altar queue. If, if, if all that, that coming to Jesus was about was getting saved and going to heaven, then we should get everybody saved and send them straight there. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if that's what it's all about. But it's more than that. It's about bringing God, His love, His life here to earth. It's about being filled with that fullness of God, with everything that He has come to give. To what end? Because God wants to restore more than just you to himself. God, through, through the fall of man, God lost more than just your, your heart and your soul. He lost humanity. He lost this world that he created. God hasn't changed. His love for you and I and for this world has not changed. But if we want to experience the fullness of God, we need to be willing to give that fullness away. We need to be willing to be conduits for that love, conduits for that fullness, making room for it afresh and again and again, day by day. The fullness of God is the harvest of a life that is sown for the kingdom. I want to say that again. The fullness of God is the harvest, it's the reward, it's the fruit, it's the blessing of a life that is given to sow what it has into the kingdom, for the kingdom, into the world. And so this is, yes, I probably could. The fullness of God in the life of a believer is the harvest or the reward or the fruit for a life that is sown. In other words, to realize the value of something, you've got to start giving it away. And I listen to that word and I have to be honest with myself and share with you guys and say, where do we as a fellowship stand on that? Where do I as an individual stand on that? And I ask you the same question. Where do you stand on that? If, 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 if I truly want to realize the fullness of God in my life, I need to begin engaging with Him in a way that says, alright, I need to give away what I've got so that I can realize more. Because understanding the kingdom of God 
is not understood by just receiving Christ and have it be for you. Because it has an expression. And its expression is? Love. So the subject that I'm starting with this morning is called sowing the kingdom. If we want to experience the fullness of the kingdom, we need to learn what it is to give it away. And so let's start understanding this thing called the kingdom. You know, Jesus never ever preached the gospel of salvation. That may be a revelation to you this morning. There's no record that I know of where Jesus is recorded as preaching the gospel of salvation. Because his message was not the gospel of salvation. Jesus did not come to bring salvation. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Because that's what he came to bring. Now, yes, that includes salvation, but salvation is just one little part of it. So let's define this word kingdom first and look at how we, how that can become, how that can be extrapolated. The word kingdom is made up of two words. The word king, meaning ruler, overseer, and dom which stands for domain. So a kingdom is a domain over which a king exercises influence or rules. Amen? Is that quite simple? So what is the... Let's, let's begin with this understanding. So that would mean that in, in your life and my life, when Jesus becomes the, raw, the, the ruler of our hearts, what has come to us? The kingdom of God. Because my life now becomes the domain or the area over which Jesus exercises influence. Amen? So the whole reason Jesus came, the whole reason we are saved, is so that we could come under the influence of the King. Now, those who are under the influence of the King, what does that mean? That means we no longer live for ourselves. That means we no longer live for our dreams or to build our kingdom. Our lives are now being ruled not by our wills and de- wills or desires, but by the Lord's, by the King's. He becomes ruler. Very simple understanding. Would you agree with me? But I want to say this, that under- to understand kingdom, we need to understand that this is not a passive thing. It's a living and a vital thing. It's not just a relational association, but it's experiential and it's very practical. What does it mean to have Jesus as the ruler of your heart if he doesn't, if that doesn't find any expression in the way we live? Amen? In the way we make decisions. What we're really doing is kidding ourselves because then Jesus is not the ruler of the heart, our heart. He's just the guy we keep there as our little ticket when we get to the pearly gates and we say, here we go. I've got one of these. That means I must get in. To make him the ruler and the lord of your heart means that he makes the call. He calls the shots. Amen? And that relates in how we live and what we do. I want to read you two quotes by a guy by the name of Alexander Fenter. He wrote a book called Doing Church. Uh, and uh, he's, he's, he's very involved in the vineyard movement and all the rest. But he wrote a book and he made two statements about the kingdom of God which I really, really like and I want to share them with you. First one is this. The kingdom of God is scripture is not, in Scripture is not an idea... It's an event, an intervention of God in human history. It's where God gets to express himself in our lives. So it's not just this thing that, okay, now I'm part of the kingdom because, because Jesus is in my heart. The kingdom of God is an event that takes place wherever God gets involved in our lives. 
where He gets to, to make the decision, where He gets to work in us, where He gets to work through us, where He brings revelation to us, where that revelation finds expression, where the power of God is released, where deliverance takes place, where restoration happens, where healing happens. These are all manifestations of the kingdom of God, where His rulership, where His influence comes into the natural and brings with it supernatural. So in other words, it's not just this idea that I now belong to Jesus and I'm part of this club Jesus. Because if that were the case, we'd be like every other little religion out there. We're not part of a club. We're part of a kingdom. And that kingdom expression is not just in our affiliation, but it's in action. It's practical. The second thing he says is this. The kingdom is the rule of God. The church is the community that receives and expresses that rule of God. Very simple. The kingdom is the rule of God. It's where He rules. And the church, that is you and I, the body of Christ, are the ones who receive that rulership and express it into the world. The kingdom of God, folks, is all about God-inspired change that begins in the heart. It's where Christ does something within us that changes us that changes our motivation, that changes the way we think, the way we do, and that leads to action. Why is it you come Sunday after Sunday? Just to be blessed or to hear a message? Well, that's good. We hope you're blessed. We'll be sure to bring you a message. But it's in the hope that that word, that that message, that that time under the corporate anointing in worship will do something in your heart that will bring about positive change, that will bring kingdom to your life. For what? To what end? So that you can go home and be blessed? No. So that you can take that kingdom influence that has happened to you and give it away and share it. Amen? When the kingdom of God is sown into our hearts, we begin to change. That's what it's all about. It's a kingdom of restoration where God is restoring us and this world unto Himself. And to do that, something's got to give. Something's got to change. Would you agree? Hello? When we in turn begin to sow that kingdom influence out to those around us, we begin to see and realize its value in our own lives. You know... You, you may have been on a journey with God and had to face some really difficult things. Had to work through some really difficult things. But you've come out on the other side and you've gained victory over whatever that may be. It could be a hurt. It could be a disappointment. It could be somebody that's done something to you and you really struggled to forgive them. Let's use unforgiveness as an example. It's a good example. Somebody does something to you, doesn't matter who, but man, this is a big deal for you. This is a biggie. Maybe they didn't intend it that way, but you struggle to get over this. But you do. You Through God, through prayer, through time, you go through the process and you are able to release and forgive and let go. And that that thing, that, that offense or whatever it may be, no longer has a hold on your life anymore. And you experience the difference between being in that place of unforgiveness where, where your heart is bitter and hard to the place of release and letting go and where that burden falls off your shoulders. And you experience the difference that forgiveness brings to your life, how it delivers you from that bondage. You truly realize the value of that when you see somebody else in bondage to the same thing. 
And when you can, now that you've, now that you've been down that journey, now that you've been down the road of it doesn't matter what I feel about this or it doesn't matter, you know, how justified I am in, should I rather say, in feeling what I feel, I'm, I'm a captive to my offense, you're able to minister that to somebody else and see them come to the same deliverance. That's just a very simple example of what it means to sow the kingdom, folks. Where God has done something in your life that has changed you, that has delivered you, that has set you free, that you now carry with you, is now a part of you that you can use and to share and to minister and to bless somebody else who's going through exactly the same thing. Small example, simple example, but a real one. Wouldn't you agree? And once we begin sowing out the kingdom, and we begin seeing that we have the power to influence people for Jesus, that's a strong motivator. I must be honest, that's one of the things that motivates me the most, is the realization that in being who I am and doing what I can do, I can, I can influence people, that's not the motivator by the way, but I can influence them towards Christ. To know Him more. To have a deeper understanding of who He is. To come into the fullness of who God has made them to be and released into the calling that He has on their lives. That, 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 that's, that's, that's my dream. That's what I'm passionate about. We are here to influence, folks. We have a king and he has a kingdom and we are his army and there is a kingdom mandate. And what is that mandate? Kingdom influence. To bring the influence of God into our world, into our workplace, into a, wherever it is that we have influence, whether it be in school, in varsity, in college, doesn't matter. We have the power to influence and the responsibility to do so as well. So what happens? Well, let's read a portion of scripture with, with me, if you would. Mark chapter 12. Well, we'll answer that question a little bit later. But I first want to read the scripture. Mark chapter 12. It's one of my favorite portions of scripture. I love the account of this event. Mark 12, 28 to 34. It says this. Then one of the scribes came. Let me just give you an example. Jesus was being asked some tough questions here by the Pharisees. They said to him, basically, you know, if a, if, if, if a wife marries someone and uh, that guy dies, the law of Moses said his brothers should take care of the wife. And so... You know, this, he dies, his brother marries the woman, uh, but then he dies and the other brother marries the woman, and then he dies, and, and then this happened seven times. I mean, they were quite, you know, they made their point. And this woman dies and goes to heaven. Who will be her husband? And Jesus answers and responds to them, if you want to know the answer, tune in to Mark 12. <laughs> so anyways, one of the scribes sitting by there, he, he notices Jesus answering this question, and he says to him, and, he, and, he say, and it says here, having heard him reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, now you have the scribe asking Jesus questions. He says, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him and said, the first commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And I love this part. The scribe says to Jesus, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God. 
and there is there is no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and the sacrifices. He's affirming what Jesus had said. That is a wise answer. And I love this. And I love, I love Jesus' response to him. Now Jesus... Now when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, he said to him, you, sir, are not far from the kingdom. I remember the first time I read that scripture, I thought, what do you mean you're not far from the kingdom? That is actually a very loaded statement. Here the scribe is talking with Jesus. He, 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 he has wisdom and understanding of the scriptures. But Jesus doesn't attribute it to him as righteousness. He says to him, you're not far from the kingdom. What is it that was the barrier that this man had to cross over to be in the kingdom? What is it this man had to do to be born again, as we say? That understanding that he had, had to go from here, in his head, to down here in his heart. He was a man of the law. This man had knowledge. But clearly that knowledge had not yet become revelation to him. Because if it had, it would have translated into the faith to bring him into the kingdom. And I love Jesus. I mean, Jesus doesn't discourage the man. He says to him, you're not far. You're nearly there. But not quite yet. To him, it remained outward conformance to a set of laws that were there. But it had not yet become the motivation of his heart. Now the Bible says, faith without works is dead. Likewise, works without faith are futile. What I'm talking to you about this morning, folks, in sowing the kingdom is not about a set of works that I'm prescribing we need to do. What I'm talking about is, is the very heartbeat of God, the very kingdom of God, the very influence of God, the very presence of God becoming our passion, our pursuit, the thing that drives us, the thing that inspires us, the thing that motivates us above all else. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6 where he does the stark contrast that, that it's poignant for us to do from time to time. It says, Matthew 6.25, Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor toil or, uh, nor reap together into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Say, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now I realize that the contents of the scripture, Jesus is talking about not worrying. Do you know that, that, that humans are the only part of God's creation 
that worry and stress? Interesting that. The pinnacle of creation stresses about the rest of it. Anyway, I digress. What I'm talking to you about here, folks, when I talk about what, what, what this scripture is, is conveying to us in our very busy lives is a thing called distracted devotion. And that's something that we're all susceptible to. And that's something that we all struggle with. Why? Because life is busy. Life is hectic. Stuff happens and there are demands on us all the time. Whether it be our jobs, whether it be our wives, whether it be our children, whatever it may be, there's demands on us. Constantly vying for our attention, constantly vying for our devotion. And, and not all of those things are bad, by the way. But they generate a lot of stress and pressure, wouldn't you agree? But really, what this, what, you know, Matthew 6.25 speaks about worry. This suggests distraction and preoccupation with things causing anxiety and stress and pressure. And Matthew 6.32 says, after these things the Gentiles seek. Now, I think one of the biggest indictments on us as the church of Jesus Christ, as the people of El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, is that in our daily lives, we look just like the Gentiles. We behave just like the Gentiles. I'm not talking about swearing and cussing and all that kind of thing and, and licentious living and yada yada. I'm just talking about the pursuit of our daily life. We go about life, so we've got to get a job so that we can provide for our families. And that kind of becomes so much of the cycle of life. Getting a job so that we can live, so that we can survive, and go to church on Sunday to praise Jesus for the job. Is that the motivation? If that's what our life is all about, then what the scripture is really telling us is that we're no different from the world. What is it that sets us apart from the world? I'll tell you what it is. It's what we actively pursue. What we actively pursue that sets us apart. Jesus, the love of God, the Holy Spirit, His influence in our lives, the kingdom of God. What we're pursuing is not for ourselves. It's not just so that we can build an empire or have a good living or a good life. Are those things evil, by the way? No, they're not evil. But when they become the motivation of our hearts, they take us away from what God wants us to do and who God wants us to be and the plan that God has in place. Seeking first the kingdom means that I am actively pursuing to know and experience and to share the love of God in every area of my life. You know, the Bible says there are two things. And uh, I haven't made it through a quarter of my notes, but I'm going to have to close with, with this, with this train of thought. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Right? There's two things that we need to seek. It says, don't worry about all these other things. Don't seek after all those other things. Don't let that be your pursuit. Here's what you seek after. The kingdom of God, and we've already established what that is. His rulership, His influence in our lives, not once off just so that we can be saved, but daily, moment by moment. And His Righteousness. Who can tell me, what does righteousness mean? Quite right. To be in right standing with God. So if, I, if my pursuit is righteousness, then my pursuit 
is to bring every area of my life into right standing with God. That means change. That means allowing Jesus to be Lord. That means allowing me to shift my priorities, my motivations, my attitudes, and to make that my pursuit. To be just like Jesus Christ. A wise man who happens to be in our midst this morning said to me on Friday, righteousness is the predominance of God's love. You see, folks, here's what we need to understand. When I'm talking to you about the kingdom and expressing the kingdom, everything about a kingdom reflects what? The king. The king. And if we are talking about the influence of the kingdom of God, who is our king? God. And what is God? God is love. God is love. So to round this out and to make this really simple and to set a platform for where I'm going to be going in the weeks ahead, to understand that sowing the kingdom means sowing the love of God is what unlocks, is what, is what enables us to shift our heart attitude and our thinking into the place where we can say, my motivation, my pursuit in life needs to be loving God and letting that love flow out through me. Because as I give it away, I realize the value of it. That is very, very simply an understanding of what it means to sow the kingdom of God. We're going to look at how that breaks down in the weeks ahead. But I want to read to you again, just in closing, the scripture that I, I read at the beginning. Ephesians chapter 3. He says, from verse 15, or from verse 16, that, he, that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, in other words, so that His presence will let you be rooted and grounded in that love that you may be able to comprehend what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Folks, if you and I want to experience the fullness of God, what we need to get a revelation of is the love of God. What we need to begin sharing is the love of God. The love of God. Being in love with Him. Allowing that to be our motivation. Allowing that to be the reason for everything that we do. Let that be the reason you go to work every day. To love. If you want a job, God's given you one. It's called this. Oh no man, anything but love. Love. We're going to break that down in the weeks ahead. Look at the, the, the very basic pattern that God has given us for how to extrapolate this and how to walk this out very simply and very practically. But here's the whole motivation behind this, folks. If this is to be our year of realization, we need, if this is our year where we will realize the value of what we have, we need to understand that change may be required in those areas where we're not giving it away where we have something that we're sitting on, where we have something that we're not being faithful with, a responsibility from God, a mandate from God to share love, 
We want to realize that love, we've got to share it. We want to realize the value of the love of God. We've got to share it. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomega.org.za.